I did not like having to wear our chemical gear, but also it was really good training for this past year with the outbreak and everything. Um, so everyone's like, oh, I can't breathe. And I'm like, this is nothing. It's just a little piece of cotton. You're fine. Marshall in the middle. It's Frenchie, everybody. Look at you. You're beautiful. So good to see you. Oh, it's good to see you too, Top. Oh my gosh. So, so, oh, wow. It's been uh, 10 years, right? I think a little, a little more now, actually. Yeah. Wow. Tell me, how old were you when you joined the army? I was I signed up when I was 18, but I did the delay entry because my niece was supposed to be born. So I left when I was 19. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. That's so cool, right? The thing. So how old are you now? Oh, don't do that. I'm 34 now. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, 34. Wow. That's just crazy. That's half your life ago. Yeah. Yeah, that's half your life ago. What what do you remember about joining the army? I remember that um, I had never really done anything of that magnitude. I had always stayed close to home, stayed close to my family. So I remember when I left MEPS, which was just up the street from where I was living at the time, going into basic and it didn't really hit until we finished in processing MEPS. And then we went to actual basic basic and uh, it was it was almost like a cultural shock because they were so different. And then um, going, I went to Fort Leonard Wood and it was in January when I went. So we were still kind of in the cold months. And then my first station was with you in El Paso. So that was a huge uh, temperature, like climate change. And I just remember being really overwhelmed but also eager and excited so tell me about you know nicole nicole laviolette right is that your maiden name is that your original name is that the name you grew up with that that is my maiden name yeah i love it i love yeah. it so tell me tell me about you as a, as a little girl were you a army girl were you a tomboy were you i mean you you did great in the army um actually i was pretty pretty shy as a kid i didn't really have any like plans to join the military or any of that. I wanted to join college. I only maybe somewhat ignorantly um, applied to Baylor University because I wanted to go to a good school and I got accepted and that was amazing. But uh, mm, tax forms weren't done in time, so I couldn't get in. But before that, it was kind of never my plan to join something that was so much bigger. Um, I wanted to be an astronaut originally when I was little and I still have an astronaut book somewhere where I collected articles as a kid and um, my mom gave me space books and I have that somewhere still and so it was kind of a big difference from what I thought was going to happen. It's isn't it interesting when you're a kid and you have these dreams about what you think that the, the, your life might look like and then it turns out, you know, totally different sometimes, right? Oh, yeah. What what uh, what thing did you dream about as your, as a kid that did come true? You know, I can't I can't really say that I can recall a dream that I had as a child that came true. I didn't have 
big aspirations. I wanted to do well in school while I was in school from when I was young. I wanted my parents to be pleased. And they were for the most part, you know, we had our tips and whatnot. Um, I can't say, I, did, I didn't ever really want to be a parent, but I ended up being a parent and that was great and amazing. And I would never change that. I think mostly I just wanted to find somewhere where I would be successful and live a comfortable life. And I guess you could say I've reached that point. Tell me, tell me about joining the army and being around a whole bunch of people that y'all all of a sudden you were getting yelled at and y'all had to go here and stand here and do this. How did that go? It was so nerve wracking. And um, I'm going to be honest. I cried a little the first day, the first day of basic training, when they get you off that bus at first, I was trying not to, and I, I was better than some people, but I definitely was in the front leaning rest, just tears going and I was overwhelmed and I was scared but I was also excited but I was like oh my gosh they are really scary right now but it was a lot of fun too like once you get past that initial oh, okay this is so different from anything you would think it gets to be a lot of fun were you good like uh, were you like good at shooting and doing the bayonet stuff and, and climbing the ropes and all the stuff you had to do uh, I wouldn't say that I excelled anywhere. I think I was pretty even across the whole field. I did well. I didn't excel, but I didn't really do so bad that it was an issue either. I really enjoyed the obstacle courses and basic training because I thought those were a lot of fun. I didn't like the classes, but the physical part was so much fun. And everybody's like, I would never do basic again. And I'm like, no, let's go back and do those again. Not the classes. Just do that part. Yeah, right. Well, it was like adventure time uh, and exploration time. Uh, and and at that point, they're rooting for you instead of yelling at you so much, you know? Right. Yeah, they, they go from, you know, I'm going to get you to obey and fall in line. And when you finally start to, they're like, okay, let's see how we can push yourself. And it really does push a person beyond what they might have thought they could do. Yeah. Did you think you were going to, you know, do good in the army and have a tough time? Uh, you know, what was your expectations? Um, I thought I would do all right. I thought I would make it through basic, you know, because there are some people who just can't. And that's all right. I thought I would do well. Um, I did grow up with a, a dad who he did a little bit of time in the military. So he was very like strict about being on time and being, you know, what having everything you need in order being ready and being orderly so that was I think a good start for that and I think I did all right there I never got in trouble for being late so that was good did did you ever get in trouble like I don't ever remember yelling at you I don't ever remember anything like that but do did did, did you ever get yelled at uh I had a couple of run-ins of course um no no punitive actions against me but I did um go through a period that was kind of turbulent and my first line leader had a different idea from my platoon sergeant of what should be going on and it was handled differently and it kind of caused a little bit of confliction um but there was no official write-up for anything tell me about getting you know you alluded to it tell me about coming to bliss and getting to your first unit and and all that stuff so I got a preview of Fort Bliss when I came from basic training and did my AIT training because that's where our unit did almost all of its training at the time. And so I remember getting there and getting off the plane and being like, oh, I knew it was going to be hot because I've lived in Texas. Oh, this is so hot. It's miserable. How do people do this? And so I was in AIT 
it was totally different from what I was expecting the unit to be like. And then the unit was totally different from expectations after AIT because, you know, AIT is just more training, more learning, more hands-on schooling. But then you get to the unit and they're like, okay, this, that, this, that, this is what you need to do. This is how we're going to do it. But also welcome to your family. We're here, whether you like it or not. And I thought that was really cool because I know that soldiers cycle in and out all the time. So it's a constant period of adjustment for everybody. And I thought that was pretty fantastic. Were you welcomed well? Do you remember showing up and getting a room and those kinds of things? Yes, I felt very welcomed in my first unit. And my first roommate, we don't talk much anymore. We've kind of went our separate ways, but I still have very fond memories of her. And I think she was a great first roommate to be kind of introduced to the unit with. Oh, that's great. That's great. Do, do you remember a specific, like we when you came, we were getting ready to train up and go to, to go, we went to Yuma and then we went to uh, all kinds of training and ended up going to Korea together, right? Yes. What was your MOS? I was a, a 14 Tango. Oh, okay. Who was your squad leader and, and, and your, your uh, team chief and stuff? Uh, Staff Sergeant King was my squad leader and I went onto his, his RSOP team. So we were one of the first people out into the field, so to speak. And I think we went maybe two weeks after I got there and I had no idea what to expect or how things were going to be and um, I think he did a really excellent job of kind of getting me into the group introducing me being like hey this is what we we need from you this is what you're going to do and there's no two ways about it this is what you're here for so I thought that was pretty cool wasn't that such a cool group it was I loved that group they were a great team I look back at some of the pictures. I used to make y'all pose and I would take pictures of y'all, crazy pictures and stuff. And y'all were like, first sergeant, stop it. And I'm like, no, y'all will be proud of these one day. Y'all shut up, you know? It was fun, right? Absolutely. And uh, I see you post those pictures and I'm like, man, I wish I had more pictures from that time because I don't have any of my own. I see what you post and what other people from the unit post. And I'm like, that's a great memory right there. Yeah, I... uh I got to a point in my career where I realized, especially in Patriot land, I was just a cheerleader. I had to do nothing. There was nothing I had to do with, but like hug bib and take pictures. That's it, you know? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what do you remember about RSOP? You know, like if you were to tell your family about what you volunteered to do with RSOP, I mean, that's a, that's a big deal, right? Minesweepers and chemical oh. tests. And tell me about that. Oh, I did not like having to wear our chemical gear, but also it was really good training for this past year with the outbreak and everything. Um, so everyone's like, oh, I can't breathe. And I'm like, this is nothing. It's just a little piece of cotton. You're fine. Um, but yeah, it was a really big deal, you know, because the, the safety of the whole unit rested on our SOP and do us doing our job properly and making sure that we cleared the area. And actually, despite having to wear the chemical gear. I liked minesweeping because that's actually what I did. I was a minesweeper when I first came in and I really, really had a lot of fun doing that, even though it was hot and it was miserable, but it was still just something so new and pretty important. So. Yeah. Do you remember going to Yuma or going to any of those deployments? You remember any of that stuff? Um, I didn't get to go to White Sands with you guys. Um, I was kept back for a medical issue. And so I missed that. And I was kind of sad because I was in contact with people through phones, you know, nifty little gadgets. Um, 
And I was kind of sad to have missed that, but it was understood that I couldn't go. But I do remember going out to, I don't know if it was Yuma, but it was pretty far out. And there were tiny frogs and it rained, I think on our day going back in. And I thought that was great. And it was, you know, I never expected to see frogs this, this big in El Paso. So, or in that area. So that I think was a lot of fun. And I remember dancing in full battle rattle with uh, Green, my original roommate. And it was it was a lot of, it was a lot of hard work to be sure, but it was also a lot of fun and it was a lot of camaraderie. Tell me about, you know, going over to, to Korea and, you know, go, going to a foreign country and all that kind of stuff. It was scary at first. Um, Cause you know, I'd, again, never been that far. The furthest I had made it was Fort Leonard Wood from my family. And now I'm going to a whole different country effectively on the other side of the time zone. And I loved it. I thought it was great. I thought it was an amazing experience. I wish I had been a little more intelligent about going into it because I didn't really immerse myself in the culture. I didn't do any learning, but I thought it was fantastic. And actually now I study Korean and I have several friends who are from Korea and they've transplanted here that we do uh, language exchanges with. And I have so much fun doing that. Oh, that's great. That's great. So, uh, so you were part, you were with uh, Sergeant King the whole time that you guys were over there. We were in Guangzhou and Osan and tell me, tell me memories of, of that stuff. You remember going and deploying to the little, our little wartime sites and stuff? Yes. Um, but also <laughs> I didn't get to stay the whole time. Cause that's actually when I, I got pregnant with my daughter. So I did leave a little ahead of you guys, but I do remember going to the first couple field trips as it were and training and driving and getting stuck in rice patties and one time I I think it was with you guys because I went to Korea again later but I think it was with you guys we got sprayed by the field fertilizers and it was so bad it was like oh no it smells awful I mean it works for their rice patties but maybe not so good for the equipment but it was so funny <laughs> oh my gosh oh my gosh so do you remember being hot or cold or wet or snowed on or something that you could just like oh uh it was humid in korea oh it was so humid there and it was the first time i saw real snow because i grew up in california where there's not much snow i came to texas where there's snow but it's really just dirty slush and it's usually not very deep um but in korea it got deep and i was so enamored with the snow i remember being like I can't wait to go out to formation in the snow. And then they'd be like, no, no formation. It's too snowy. Oh, I wanted to go though. And uh, I thought the snow was a blast and it was a lot of fun. And I enjoyed going out in the evenings after, you know, we had finished our duty and just being outside in the cool. I like cold air. So it was kind of perfect at that point. Do you remember going out to the Ville and exploring downrange and stuff? I mean, let me tell you something straight up. You were an American female in Korea. You were a queen if you wanted to be, right? Yeah. Um, going to Korea as a, as a female was probably vastly different than being a male, especially being a young female. Um, and it's kind of funny because we had that one little strip right outside of our, our garrison, as it were. And you would expect the, the workers there to be engaging more with the males because that was typically their target. But anytime a female was in there, not just me, any female, they would flock because I guess they felt a little safer, you know, just women, womanhood and womanship. And they were always so funny and so kind and so polite. And it would actually be 
really welcoming and kind of like, oh, I, I might have gone out with a group of predominantly males because that's what's in the military, but I felt safe with other females meeting them out there. That's awesome, right? And you you find out that the in our time, most of the ladies that were over there that were working in the clubs were from Philippines or Russia. Yes. Uh, it wasn't a lot of Koreans. No, absolutely not. The the Koreans that were women were usually the ajumas, the older ladies that were running the shops and selling goods to you. And they were always excited to see us come in because they knew they could handle us and they'd get a good deal because we didn't know what we were doing. We were young and we were like, oh, okay, sure. This is cool. I want it. Yeah. So, so you were not old enough to drink when you were over there the first time, right? Correct. Oh, so tell me about that. Um, <laughs> can well, I mean, did, so, well, so, so let me just tell you my, my stance on that. Okay. I never went looking for anybody underage drinking. Not once did I go looking for it. Look, if you were doing it and I, it wasn't in my face, I was, I left you alone. Okay. I didn't want no problems. Um, it was just interesting to kind of look back on that time and think about it and be able to say, well, yeah, I did kind of sneak home one time and I was a little trashed or, you know, I just don't know. I just, I just thought maybe I'd ask, you know? I mean, before I found out I was pregnant. Yeah. There was a couple a couple of good nights I had here and there, you know, maybe could have been bad news, but we always kept it on the, on the low and kind of tried to keep it within the realm of mm, maybe we should be smart about this. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. That's, that's real good. That's real good. So I'm going to tell you, I don't remember um, you leaving early or what have you and and you you're you're uh you becoming with child but tell me about that that's got to be an a, interesting adventure it was um I left early July of the so about nine or ten months in because it happened shortly after we had uh gotten there and it was with another unit soldier um and going back and it was my first pregnancy with my first unit and then I came back to America alone, and that was kind of scary. And um, he was still in Korea when I gave birth to my child, actually. Um, I, oh, did get wow. to talk to I did get to talk to him on the phone for a few minutes before everything went crazy like it tends to be. Um, but I was really sad that I had to leave my, my first unit that I had a lot of good memories in a little early. And it was worked out that I would come back to that unit, not, not uh, Alpha, right? Alpha? Bravo? We're Bravo. Bravo. Mm -hmm. We're Bravo. So it was worked out that I would come back, but not to Bravo, not to that unit because the father of my child was in that battery and complications, this, that, and the other. But I do remember being very insistent, like, no, I, I know I have to go to a different unit right now, but I want to be transferred back once they're back here and settled. And that actually did work out. So that was really nice. Well, good, good, good. That's, I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear that. What, um, do you remember a particular food that you liked from Korea? Oh, tteokbokki and bulgogi. And there's places around here that have really good, um, really good variances of those. And I know how to make bulgogi, actually. And my sister is working on cooking with the wok. So we're doing a lot of Asian foods here. And Korean is a very strong staple because she also likes Korean culture. Oh, that's great. That's great. So tell me more about your children. So I have Zoe, who is um, my first kid. She's 13 and a half and, you know, going on 19, really. Um, she's great. She's intelligent. She's a little bit of an introvert, which I 
can get and relate to on a pretty personal level. And then I have a son, uh, Ian, and I actually have their names on my arms. Um, he's nine and no more. That's it. Just those two. But he's really great too. He's more outgoing. He's more, he's a boy. Oh, he's a boy all the way, but he's a little bit of a mama's boy, which is okay most of the time, but they're great kids. They're both pretty intelligent. I think they've done great with the past year and a half with the whole COVID mess. Um, Zoe's stayed homeschooled for the rest of this year and she's going back to campus and she's a little nervous because she's like, oh no people, but Ian wanted to go back and he was like, yes. And he does a lot better in person. So I think they're great. Go back to Korea for a second in that first unit and <clears throat> remind me of some of the personalities that, that you think of. Do you remember any names or personalities and things that come to mind? Of course. Uh, I remember Green, of course, my, my first original roommate, who unfortunately we separated in Korea at one point, uh, different rooms because she got promoted while I was still very new. Uh, I remember Fez. Um, I remember Sonia, but I could never say her last name right, so I'm not going to butcher it on here. And then there was, um, and she, I thought she was always so funny. She seemed quiet, but then she would kind of break out with this humor and you'd be like, where did that come from? But awesome. And I think she was my roommate when my parents sent a glitter bomb box to me and I opened it in my room and there was glitter everywhere and we had it set up. So there was a bit of a separation, but it got on her side. And I was like, oh, I have to clean this now. Oh no. I was so upset, but it was funny. Looking back, it was funny. And then um, I remember Price, of course. Uh, he was he was my first unit boyfriend. Oh. And then, uh, but nobody knew until things got things happened. Let's not go there. Um, I remember Stark, who's always biological father, and wouldn't come. And Turner, he was so funny. Uh, he was a little a little hard around the edges but he was really funny and he didn't really care what most people thought and he was like Psh, whatever um bib he was didn't care either he was like i'm gonna say what i'm gonna say and if you don't like it i'm kind of i don't care if you don't like it carry on um sergeant king of course he was uh, he was a great first first line leader to have i think um, and he really shaped a lot of how i looked at my first line leadership going through the military like i did um, Sergeant Hernandez, who was Crystal's or Green's sergeant, because uh, we talked a lot, and so there was a lot of cross-communication, and I was interested in what they were doing in the van, and then there, there was Sergeant, you know, there were people in uh, the support platoon that I didn't really talk to so much, so I don't really have a lot of names I can recall there. Tell, tell me, Tell me about, um, you know, was there, was there a time where you had to go out of your way to help somebody that was in need while we were over there? Maybe a, somebody drunk and then falling down or somebody had to clean up something or maybe, maybe somebody had dropped the ball on something. You remember anything like that? Actually, I don't, I don't think so. But I think also a lot of it had to do with, um, there was definitely no incidences where I had to clean up after somebody who had drank too much because, you know, I wasn't there. Um, but I think within the unit, when things happened within the unit that had to do with our work, it didn't feel like it was somebody had dropped the ball and I had to help them. It was, this is what we got to get done. Let's get it done no matter how. If it if we fall, fall behind, that's okay. We can still get it taken care of. So it didn't really ever feel like a chore or like going out of your way to help somebody. It just felt like doing what you should naturally do in a close unit. 
Were you a good shot? I was okay. I wasn't great. Um, I, I think I got expert one or two times throughout the seven years I served, but for the most part, I was just the, you know, regular. Tell me about becoming a sergeant. That was a whole trip. Um, Cause you know, when you stay in the military for a while, inevitably, you know, you're going to get promoted. You're going to move up. You can't just sit stagnant. That's not how it works. If you sit stagnant, they say, sorry, you got to go. You're wasting our resources. So I went to the, to the promotion board and I was so, so nervous. And I thought I did terrible. I thought I did so, so bad, but uh, Staff Sergeant Moses, I think was in charge of me at that point. It was with a different battery, um, different unit altogether. And he was really like, a, he was on point. He was very much a perfectionist and he was very good and he was very knowledgeable. He knew what he was doing. He knew what he wanted and he did it. And so I was really nervous going in and representing him because that's what you're doing. You're representing whoever is your first line leader showing, you know, this is what they've taught me. This is how I am because of this person who's guided me here. And so I came out, I was nervous. I didn't think I did well. I apparently did very well, um, at least according to them, because then even though we were starting to to gear up for our field eight training, is that what it's called? Table our eight. Training. Table eight, there you go. So we were, were starting to gear up for that. And I got told I was going to be sent to the soldier of the quarter board. And I was like, but we're doing reverse training, reverse table eight training where we're at night and we're sleeping during the day and our schedules really aren't as good as you would hope because it's not, it's just not. Um, and so they sent me and I was so tired. I remember being so tired, but I was only a promotable at that point. I wasn't yet promoted because sometimes, you know, the list can take a while in our MOS. And we went and I was so tired and I was so upset because I missed a question, but um, I just think that it's not as scary, and especially if like if a younger soldier sees this, it's not as scary as it is. You're going to go in, you're going to be a little shaky, maybe if you're a little shy, that's fine. It's okay. And they realize you're human. And I think that's a good thing. So I thought the promotion process was interesting. And I studied for a long time, like no cards. I'm sitting at home. I was a single mom with my daughter and she was barely in diapers. And it was great. Do you remember any of those facts? Like, what's the maximum effective range of an M16? You remember any of that stuff? Um, let me look at my flashcards and maybe. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's funny. But you remember, so you try to memorize so much stuff. Right, and it, you just looking back on it years later, you're like, how did I have all that crammed in there on top of everything? And then, like, if you look at your study notes, your old flashcards, you look at it, you're like, I know this. Oh my gosh, I know this so well. But then you don't unless you're looking at the material and it's pretty fun. Yeah, it is neat. It is neat. All of the all of the things that we did in the military prepared us in so many ways for so many things that we just don't have a clue about until all of a sudden you're faced with that situation. You're like, oh, I know what to do. I was trained in this, you know, so that's great. Did you ever have to... Uh, render first aid or do anything to help someone that was in need? No, I mean, I, you know, I went to the training where you were taught how to do it and you did it on dummies, but I never had to render it to anybody. Yeah. I had a pretty calm, I think I had a pretty calm and quiet career in all honesty. It was, it was turbulent, but it was also not as crazy as you hear some stories. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So so tell me about going back to Korea a second time. You're probably a sergeant then, or or getting or becoming a sergeant close to it. 
up. That's actually where I went to the board was in okay. Korea the second time. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's where I went to the combat warriors leader course um, up in Camp Casey, I think it was up, up north or close to north. And uh, it was great because we were stationed on, on the Air Force Base in Busan. So we were our own little entity. Like we were within our own. So anytime we had to do anything, we had to go to Camp Carroll, which was a three hour bus ride. And um, I was so excited to go back. And as a specialist, you know, you're kind of in that midpoint where you're not really new, but you're not really so in charge of anything, but you're starting to see more responsibility. You're starting to have higher expectations. And uh, it was it was a lot of fun. Um, the board was a little scary, of course. A little like, I don't know if I'm ready, but you don't get to decide that. They're like, you're ready, go, have fun, do well. Um, and so being promotable in Korea was kind of an interesting experience because again, you're a little bit higher than just a regular specialist, but then you're not quite a sergeant. So that was interesting because we also were going through a transition about halfway through of leadership um, where we were seeing our platoon sergeant out. We were seeing a new platoon sergeant come in. Our squad lines were shifting a lot because of that, because they were rearranging our leadership. But that was a really good unit as well. That's awesome. That's awesome. So do you remember a soldier that you had to mentor or take charge of or lead? Yes. Um, in that same unit, uh, and we had met in Fort Hood before we went to Korea the second time, we had a soldier whose last name was Dempsey. And I still am in contact with him occasionally on Facebook, but he had so much potential. It was just, it was right there, but he had a hard time with showing up on time for formations. And it became kind of a little bit of a known joke that if there was a formation, he would probably be about five minutes. Like, even if we went and knocked on his door, it was like, you need to be there in five minutes. And that's 20 minutes prior, be there in five minutes, go knock on his door again, why aren't you there? But it was kind of a joke in our platoon that if there was a formation about five minutes in, he would probably be front leaning rest, you know, because he was late and there's nothing we could do short of physically dragging him, but he had so much potential and he was such a funny guy and he was really good at what he did. He just had an issue with time frames. <laughs> What would cause him to be so late? We never knew. It was a mystery. It was always a mystery because we'd knock on his door before PT because, you know, you go and check, room check and all this, that, and the other and because he was in the barracks. And are you ready? He'd be in his PTs. He'd have his hair done. He'd have his teeth brushed. He'd be ready to go. Like, like dragging my nine-year-old through the house, making sure you're ready to go. This, this, this is done. Yes, everything's done. Okay, you ready to walk out the door? Great. Why aren't you on time? I, I don't know, Sergeant. I just don't know. <sighs> Why? And it was it was just a daily thing. And the day that he was on time, it was just like, you okay? Do you have a fever? Let me check your forehead. And, you know, it was all in good fun. He, like I said, he was a great soldier. It was, he just couldn't do it for whatever reason. I and mean, he had watches and everything. And his roommate would be like, yeah, he's ready. And I'd be like, okay, please bring him with you. And he's like, okay, but I can't be late for him so it was kind of um it was a situation but it was a hilarious and honestly a great memory <laughs> if uh, if you had to explain your patriotism to your kids or grandkids uh how would you how would you explain it that's a little a little harder because you know there are some people who know they they want to go into the military and they want to serve their country and 
that's their place. They know they're going. And especially people who have a long history in their family of people that have served. And mine was really more of, I didn't have anything to do. And I could see myself falling into a bad situation because I was a, I was a waitress before I came in. I had taken a semester off of high school. And like I said, I got accepted to Baylor, but I couldn't go in because paperwork. And I just saw myself slipping into this person I didn't want to be. And so it was, okay, continue kind of into a realm where you have no ambition in life. You have nothing for yourself, nothing going. And, or you can walk into that recruiter's office and you can do something that's bigger than yourself. And at the time I didn't pay attention to a lot of politics. It was after 9-11, of course. Um, but I didn't have a lot of I guess sway either way on politics or really the military in general, but I was like, you know what, why not put myself to good use somewhere, you know, somewhere someone will appreciate that this person, you know, person XYZ went in and they served their country regardless of their motivations. And so I think being there kind of made me feel a sense of uh, a more strong sense of loyalty to the country. And I can't say that um, I would always agree with what's going on in politics here and there, but I can say that if I had the ability to go back, I would gladly serve my country again because I miss a lot of it. It's a lot of it. I don't miss, but I miss the closeness and the family and just the sense of being there for something that's bigger than yourself. Many, many people say that there's no uh, atheist in foxholes. I was just wondering about like in times of your life and struggles and strife, do you have a spirit or someone that you, you, you feel is helping you or something that you pray to or some way that, that you have that brings you forward? That's a very loaded question. Um, I think that all religions are based on some type of truth. Now, it depends on what religion you're looking at as to what truth they emphasize or what they choose to to follow. I think there's definitely more out there than what we're aware of. I think that to assume we know exactly what it is, is presumptuous. Um, and, you know, there will be times when I I'll close my eyes and I'll think, you know, please, this, that, or the other, please, you know, help me get through this. Please help. Because sometimes, you know, kids struggle. Please help my child. Please, please do something for someone. Um, but I can't say that I have any set religion. I can't claim to be a Christian. I can't claim to be a Catholic. I can't claim to be an atheist. I just, there's something. And I think that it does sort of see things. And I think it has an influence to an extent. But I also think that if we were predestined to live out certain faiths, it would all be very pointless. Amen. Amen. What do you like to do for like a, a fitness routine or how do you, you stay in shape? <laughs> well, round is a shape. So that works. Um, <laughs> I actually, um, until recently we had a tread climber and I kind of liked that, but the, um, the tension rods were going bad. So right now we have an elliptical and I like to do the elliptical four to five days of the week. And usually I will watch a Korean show while I'm on there. So I'm not aware of how miserable I am doing cardio. Um, and occasionally my friends and I will kind of jump on like, oh, um, do this routine for two weeks just to change it up and give ourselves a little bit of a challenge. And I've, I've tried Insanity and it is aptly named. Um, my joints can't handle that. I'm too old for that now. Oh gosh. So it's mostly just the elliptical. Um, and you know, kids, 
Yeah, right. They'll keep you in shape. Yeah. Chase, but but you know they're old enough now where you got to chase them and really chase them because they can actually run away from you. Oh gosh, yes. It's a we make it a game. I chase usually Zoe up the stairs at night because you know put her to bed, say goodnight to her. So we'll run up behind them and they, you know, sometimes she's fearless and she's not scared, but other times she's like, "You're the tiny terror mom," and I'm like, "What, what does that mean? You're shorter than me. How can you say that?" And she's like, "You're too short," and I'm like. Okay, but so are you, but I'm still growing. Don't confuse the issue with facts, child. Don't do it. But yeah, so there's a lot of fun to be had. And they do still kind of keep you going, even when they're older. Yeah, that's great, right? That's great. Do you have any special, you know, you know, dreams that you could see for your children in the future, you know? I hope they find happiness. Uh, I right. hope they... They can do whatever they want to do. My daughter really enjoys drawing. Um, so she has drawings that she's done all over her room. She has drawing books. And I hope that even if, you know, she doesn't manage to make it into that field as an adult, that she can still do it with the passion and still enjoy it. And just for herself, even um, Ian, again, just, I want him to be happy and to find out what he wants to do in his life and be able to go for it without uh, reservations or without too many obstacles some obstacles because it's good you know character growth but still get there tell me about how you ended your time in service what caused you to get out of the military and stuff um I was a single mom and my family care plan fell apart because it was my mom and dad and they were going through some marital strife and so they could no longer be the family care plan for my kids if I had to deploy again, which my unit was getting ready to deploy very shortly um, after I got out. And I was a little heartbroken that I had to get out. I didn't really want to get out, um, but kids first, you know, family first. So. Yeah, yeah. So what did you slip into? What, what are you what are you doing now? You know, tell me about your life after the military. Uh, well, now I work in logistics, so I ship things around. Um, it's nothing super exciting, but it does make the world go round, so to speak. Um, but when I first got out, I actually did online college and got my bachelor's degree with a, um, a focus in management, which I thought it was a lot of fun. And so I took about a year off and did just college. And then I started doing some warehouse work in conjunction with college, just, you know, pay, pay the bills, not get too bored. And it somehow ended up in logistics. And now I'm just, I've been here for almost seven years and now I'm stuck here and I can't get out. But you know, it, it's not bad. It's really not as bad as it could be. Well, good, good. Well, part of this is I want you to salute and report and, you know, uh, call your unit to attention. And then I want you to salute and sign out. So like, you know, can you do that for me, you think? Um... I could if I knew everything to say. All right. So I'll, I'll, so here's what's going to happen, okay? I'm just going to say, I'm going to say, soldier, attention. And you go to attention, you report, and then you, you say, you know, Sergeant LaViolette reports. All you got to say. Okay? Then drop your salute. Then while you're still at attention, you call your squad to attention. Say, squad, attention. Then you salute and sign out, say, say, Sergeant Laviolette signs out or signing out or whatever the heck you want to say. Sound good? Okay, but I'm going to do it sitting. I'm okay, ready. sounds good. All right, here we go. Ready? Soldier, attention. Sergeant Laviolette reporting for duty. 
Call your, call your squad to attention. Squad, attention. Sergeant Laviolette signs out. Oh, yay! Thank you. That is perfect. That is perfect. That is perfect. Isn't it cool to like think of those old times and to, you know, call your unit to attention? Yeah, kind of be a uh, rush of nostalgia there. Like, chills up your back. Oh, my gosh, I remember doing this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I remember, I remember when I was the first time I ever got to march a soldier around, you know, like they gave me three guys and we were practicing in basic training and we were marching each other around. And I was like, yes, I like this. We could do it, you know? Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So was there times in the military that like, that if you could go back, like I often ask people, if you could go back one year, you know, in your career or whatever, what would it be? If you could go back to one time, you know, where would it be? Um, I, I think it would be towards the end of my service um, because it was a very, it was very emotionally charged because I, I didn't want to get out, but I knew I had to get out. And the reason I was getting out felt not great because, um, you know, sometimes there's a stigma, especially with women getting out because of pregnancy or because of children or because of family. So it feels kind of bad. Um, and I kind of wish I could have gone back and maybe handled it differently, maybe presented myself a bit differently while that was going on. But it was, it was just so hard to see one day after the next at that point. And I feel like I could have left on a better note. Um, so I think that's probably my biggest regret in the service is oh, wow. the, way, the way it ended. Yeah, thanks for sharing. Thanks for sharing. I, uh, I tell you, I tell you, I just always enjoyed you being around, you know, everybody always called you Frenchie. Uh, <laughs> and that was just such a cool nickname for you. And, um, you know, you're so stylish. I love following you and, and what you do on social media and things, you know. It's just amazing. Yeah, yeah. You're, I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan. Um, you have any closing remarks as we begin to sign out and, and call this a wrap? Uh, I think it's just important for people who serve together. And even if you weren't directly together, even if you were kind of at an arm's reach, I think it's important to remember that everyone's here for you. Um, I remember seeing the reason why you kind of started this was because we lost one of ours. Um, and uh, I've lost... Um, someone who was a platoon mate to cancer as well. And I think that what you're doing is a great cause and that we should never forget that everybody's really there. Even if you maybe didn't get along the best, we're still family. There's still that connection there and that we shouldn't just let that go and wither and rot away. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You have just such a special smile and your eyes are so bright. I just thank you. I appreciate you spending time with me. You're a special flower and a great, wonderful soldier and a hero that I know. Nicole Laviolette, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. It was great talking to you. Oh, bye. Bye. <laughs> bye.